This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything going on at Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles and Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving, to improve the reader's experience. Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest today was my friend Dave Camposano. This is Dave's repeat visit to the show. He was actually one of the first that we had on when we rebranded as Profiles in Havoc. For those of you that remember the old uh, weekly Havoc, show. Dave was one of the first that came on when we changed Profiles and Havoc. So, um, and it was about this time last year, to be honest. So uh, it was great to have Dave back on. I wanted to have him back on for a couple of reasons. Um, first, selfishly, I wanted to have him on because veteran, what's the right word? I guess if you look at veterans organizations as there being two kinds, one that try to help veterans and the other that tries to use veterans to solve an issue or to address an issue. Um, those that most of the, most veterans organizations or what is loosely labeled veterans organizations would fall into that first category. They're trying to help veterans. And of those organizations that are trying to help veterans, the ones uh, there, there have been a lot of ones that had caught my eye recently because they had, I don't know, been involved in some form of grift or were not meeting expectations. There was just a lot of stuff that I would personally was encountering where I was like, wow, I was not hip to how much bullshit there is in the veteran nonprofit space. And I was like, well, who can I get on to talk to about that? And I was like, well, I'd like to have somebody whose nonprofit is on the up and up and, and does fulfill expectations. And uh, Dave immediately sprang to mind, and I thought he would be a good person for me to vent to <laughs> and for us to talk about that phenomenon a little bit. So, spoiler alert, we're going to talk a little bit about that in the, in the interview. The other reason is that Dave has had, and he'll talk about it in the show, uh, 22 Mohawks, his organization, has truly had exponential growth. Um I, I won't talk about the numbers right now. He'll talk about them on the show or on the interview. But he, um, but I thought that's worth noting. And uh, considering how many veterans are starting their own nonprofits, 
Um, of course, I'm including myself in that. I think that's a. Um, it's interesting to hear how he's achieved that and how what his outlook is on startup nonprofits. So there was there's those two obvious reasons. The third, and it's a bad reason, another bad reason to talk to Dave is because Dave's express purpose is um, focused on veteran suicide prevention. And obviously that is a battle that our community seems to be losing more and more. And we talked about why that is, and we talked about what 22 Mohawks is doing, and we talked about what Dave himself would do if he could and what he thinks some answers are. And um, I thought it was important to have somebody in that space, not just the veteran nonprofit space, not just those that are trying to help veterans, but specifically those that are focused on PTS and suicide prevention. And I thought it was, it was probably a very appropriate time to have somebody like that on the show. Uh, Dave did not disappoint. And on that note, I will not give any further spoilers. You guys can hear everything he says during the course of the interview. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Dave Camposano's Profile Again in Havoc. Welcome back to the show, man. Thanks, Chris, man. How are you? Uh, it's great. I'm great, dude. I'm great. It's great to see you. How are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, we've you guys, been, uh, you guys had that fundraiser going on, right? Yeah, we have the uh, the Beef Itch Challenge um, at um, T Bank North Garden um, coming up February fifth. There's like there's two key parts to it. It's the um, the virtual challenge where it's January 26th to February fourth, where like you just download an app and you walk, and then you whoever has the most steps and donates the most money gets an award. Wow. And then there's like a, a day where everyone goes in and climbs the stairs at the garden to like raise money for first responders and veterans and stuff. Badass. Um, cool. Yeah. That's badass, man. That's great. It seems like you guys have been on fire, man. Is that just my perception? But that's, that's how it seems. It seems like everything's been going really well. You've had so many lines of effort going on so many different events. I, it seems like there's been a lot of momentum and it's picking up steam. Yeah. We're, we're super, super busy right now. Um, a couple funny things was uh, over Christmas time. Last year we didn't do anything at Christmas, and I'm like, man, we got to do something cool for Christmas this year. Oh, and uh, I had no clue what to do, but I was, I don't know, I was scrolling Instagram or something as everybody does all day long. Um, and I saw Christmas trees pop up, and I'm like, you know what? We should give Christmas trees to veterans. That's the what, right? Like, yeah, why not? Yeah. So I called the local Christmas tree place. I was like, hey, do you mind if we come down and we'll just pay for all the vets who come down? It's Christmas trees, right? No big deal. Wow. He was like, yeah, come down. So somebody caught wind of it. And then we ended up getting interviewed by Fox News and being on the TV. And it was literally just a call and action. And then all of a sudden, like on TV and like all these donations came in. It was really cool. That's freaking awesome, man. That, re- that was- really is. Uh, I mean, the thing is, so Dave, I mean, look, I mean, you know, I know, know each other well enough. I, I think I can just be upfront with you about my ulterior motives here. I wanted to talk to you for a bunch of reasons. One, I, I want to hear how 20 Mohawks is doing. And you guys have been, I, I feel like we've, we both started at about the same time. I think you were a little ahead of me, but I, but like just seeing how you've risen and all that, I think is really cool. And I think it's, and, and then of course the problem set that you're dealing with sadly is not only not going away, but seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. So I wanted, you know, get you on for that. I've got a bone to pick 
not with you, but with veteran nonprofits though. And I, and I don't want to pimp you out. I don't want to put you on the spot, but bro, there's some fucking grift going on. There oh is my. some bullshit. I, mm-hmm. I did not fully appreciate that until now, as I've gotten more into the veteran nonprofit space, I'm just going to leave it as an open-ended question. I mean, what's been your experience with that? Cause I, I see the look in your eye, like what's going on. What, what, give me your assessment of how bad it is, how significant it is, th- red flags. Like what's been your experience with that? I think that um, we kind of touched point on this the last time we spoke briefly. Um, but I think one of the reasons why we're, we're doing well um, is just a testament to not like trying to put money in our pockets, right? It, mm. it, money doesn't matter. It's just about like, how can we help out? Um, and I think a lot of these, these nonprofits that come about, I think initially their mindset is, yeah, let's help vets. But then they realize that, oh man, if I create this cool t-shirt, I can actually make a profit. Um, and now it turns into not helping the vet. It turns into uh, helping numero uno that, um, you know, make money is kind of from what I see, I've seen. And then secondly, is just like being the person in the limelight. I feel like that attracts a lot of people. Like they want to be like me, 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 me. I'm doing yeah. this. I'm off. Yeah. Um, props. And like, honestly, like we haven't thought that way. Like we're not like, oh, let's get on TV. Like none of that ever right. came to mind. Um, and I think like organically, when you speak to people and you show up repetitively and you're not trying to make a profit, you're legitimately just trying to help people. I think, I think the public can see that and they know that. And then they want to help you yeah. because I can any vet any day of the week who does any type of business for vets. And I can tell right away what their motive is. Like, you know, the, the first thing any veteran says that, um, the first thing that they say that is a trigger that it's all about them is like. Um, I, I'm not doing this for the money, you know, like, they'll <laughs> say, and I, you are. <laughs> I know that you are. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and me, I like, I'm a finance guy, so I freak out. Right. So like money comes in and I'm like, all right, um, I need to make sure that this money is spent on what we're telling people it's being spent on. Yeah. So like you will, Stacy will get money in and, and she'll talk to me about it. And we'll be like, I want to make sure that this money goes to this tranche of activity, whether it's like a suicide awareness class, whether it's a parachute jump for a vet, whether it's um, a dog. And then we, we, we log it as such. So if anyone ever asked us like where the money goes, right. we can show them, Hey, like the money went on this date to this dog and this person. Um, and sure. We have like expenses. Like I pay for gas for my team. Like if they have to drive an hour and a half to Cape Cod, I'm going to fill and I'm also going to buy them lunch. Um, I, and I don't think anyone will ever argue that. You know what I mean? Right, right. They do. It's because they don't know how much work goes into it. You know what well, I mean? Well, 100%. Do you guys have people on salary? Does anybody take a salary at 22 Mohawks? Sadly, we don't yet. Um, no, but, but to me, that's huge. I mean, that's because, you know, this is where I was going with that. I think there's an integrity thing that you can spot also very quickly when it's like they're, the balance is always zero. You're getting money in. You're putting it right back out. You're looking for reasons. To not, it's not burning a hole in your pocket, but it's going, hey, we're getting money in and we're immediately trying to find a line of effort to put the money to do good as yes. opposed to stockpiling resources and taking salaries and doing that. And I say that as obviously the head of a nonprofit where we do take salaries. Right. The difference, I guess, for us is that 
we're like, yeah, we're an arts organization and we've got to eat and this is our full-time job. But also we have a great built-in bullshit detector because if we're bullshitting and we're scamming people, you're going to know it. As an arts organization, I got to put on shows. You, you'll yeah. see what I'm doing. I got, I'm advertising it all the time. Like, come out, come out, come out. We're doing this. We're doing that. So I feel like there's a built-in, like anyone can just look at our website and go, how many lines of effort do you have going on? But I feel like there is a really good, warm, fuzzy feeling you get when somebody is financially independent enough or has income from another job. And it's going, yeah, this is my nonprofit that I do, so I don't need to take a salary. And all, and therefore, the money that you give to that organization, you know, is not going to overhead. You know, it's going right to do the good that they say they're going to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really disturbing to me, man. I I, I really I, maybe I was naive, maybe I just wasn't paying attention enough, but I was really shocked to hear. I, I'll, I'll keep the the sub the details vague because um, I, I don't want to do a full Columbo on forensics on. What's going on? But I will say, holy shit, um, some very influential people just blew up to yeah. me, like venting and going, holy shit, like they were they were trying to hire veterans for a very high profile organization. They approached every veterans group in the area and got a whopping zero resumes. And these are organizations that are supposed to exist. And I'll say this. Some of these organizations are ones that approached me after the Savage Wonder Festival and said, hey, that was awesome. That was awesome. You guys put on that festival. We'd love to do a festival too. Why? You're not an arts organization. You're supposed to be helping veterans with XYZ, jobs, homelessness, drug abuse, PTSD, that kind of thing. Why, why, why do you want to do Woodstock all of a sudden? Suddenly yep. you, want to, you want to be doing, you're in the fucking live entertainment space. I mean, we come into that saying, hey, we're not a therapeutic organization, man. Like we're an arts organization. We don't claim to do that. Why the fuck do you guys want to do that? And and these are the same folks that then bread and they can't do the bread and butter of their job and or aren't doing it. And I was just stunned. Um, other people were coming to me. My brother's in rehab. He's a Marine, you know, went through hell, all this stuff. Can't get treatment at the VA and organizations aren't picking up the thread. So I was like, you know, I'm going to have Dave on because I got, I have good bona fides with you. And I'm like, I want to hear the pitfalls, the dangers, and and why you guys have been successful. And I and I, I'm I'm kind of, I don't know, uh, asking a lot of leading questions, but I feel like with you guys, you and Stacy are stable, independent. You're not looking at it as holy shit. We got to eat this month, so 22 Mohawks better make a lot of money so we can eat. Right. It's like you have your own line of effort. Your motives are incredibly pure. Obviously, Stacy's history and all that with this particular cause. I mean, there's you guys have a lot of skin in this game, and then you're always doing shit. You're always trying to flash to bang. You're always going. There's always another line of effort to try to help veterans, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's 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 hard because like when you get like caught up in like you know all the behind the scenes stuff, right? Because it's like, hey, I want to go bro with vets. I want to go parachute out of planes and like right. shake hands bats and pet dogs and like do all the fun warm and fuzzy stuff day to day um but then like when i get home and i sit at my desk i'm like oh shit i gotta do this accounting i have to make sure that the logistics are set up for these flights i have to make sure i talk to steve tim jack about you know xyz because if i don't then this is gonna fall through the cracks and it's like yeah. it gets stressful like you know right it, it, it gets stressful yeah. and then you lose sight of the fact why you started you know it's like man wow this is stressful right. um so 
So it's like, man, um, a long time ago when I first started, I talked to Magnus Johnson from Mission 22 and and, and I was Mm -hmm. talking to him about like, there's two things you got to think about, right? He said, do you want to always grow it up with vets and have beers at these parties and like have fun? Or do you want to be in the business of nonprofit and dedicate your life to veterans? You have to choose which one you want to do. He's like, both are fine if that's what you want, but you know, pick the, pick the one that's, you know, in line with you. And it's like, well, shit, I, I consider myself like a business guy and a finance guy. And it's like, I know I can be in the business of it. So now we've taken that route. Um, but I think that a lot of these, these vets too, like, like your event was like, I, in my mind, Chris, you, you ran that entire thing. Right. So like, it was amazing. Like there was so much, pe- I'm like, this is not easy to set up. They're, like no, this must have been no. so difficult, so time consuming, and like people will show up and they think it's easy, and they right. think that they right. create it overnight, and they're like, "Oh, I could do this better," um, and I could probably make a ton of money on it too. Yeah, and, yeah. and people just don't realize how much of the day is soaked up by trying to like manage all this stuff. They think it's easy, you know. Yeah. When they do jump in, they're like, "Oh, but this is not easy," and then all of yeah. a sudden they. they you know, well, um, we, uh, I'll, I'll, again, I'll try to keep the details vague, just funny story and not to, not to bitch and moan. I want to, I, I do want to ask about a whole lot of other stuff, but I had to get this off my chest right off the, off the bat. But um, I will say there was another organization that came to me and was like, Hey, we're going to do an event. We're going to do a concert and all that. And I was like, okay. I was like, what, what's your ROI though? Cause you're supposed to be helping veterans get jobs or find treatment programs. So if you're doing a festival, what are you trying to do? I said, I said, what's your ROI? And they said, what's ROI? I said, okay, so that's not great. Uh, and I said, okay, well, do you want butts and seats? Are you trying to raise money? Like, what is it? What, what makes you feel like you put on a successful event? What's your metric of success? And they were like, well, I guess just that we're able to give out some cards that tell people some resources and all that. I was like, okay, so it's like a veteran resource fair, but you're doing it like in a, is a festival and they're like, yeah, well, they, they went and they, and I was like, okay, yeah. And I, I kind of minimized our, our footprint with that. I was like, that's not, I don't really want to be part of that. And sure enough, the day before they called us up and were like, Hey, where do you rent a stage from? And I was like, holy shit. I was like, yeah. All right, dude. And, and I mean, whatever, I, I'm not trying to cast aspersions, but it's one of those things where it's like, I, I, I sometimes wonder what motivates veterans in the nonprofit space because I go, look, it's it's not a cushy government job where if you just show up, it's magically going to get done. And if you clock out at five, you know, you you no matter what, it clearly was a good work day. It's like you got to hustle, man, and you better have a strong why to do what you do. And I think one of the th- one of the warm fuzzies I've had for you guys is your why is like tattooed on your forehead. Like there's no doubt why you're doing what you're doing and you see that passion in everything that you you've been up to i'm going to stop barring any comments you have i want to i want to pivot though to our to the sad reality that it's i I was thinking in a very perverse black humor way do you need to change the name of the company to 44 mohawks i mean motherfucker man what the fuck is going on? Can you just assess the problem set right now? What's going on in the veteran community? What's, why is this spike happening in your eyes? It's amazing. So I, I was watching the, um, the Department of um, Defense's um, 
um, gosh, YouTube video on, on the suicide awareness, suicide prevention piece that the, the VA put together. And um, they had, you know, America's Warriors Partnership on there and they had all these other vets on there. And the VA had a report and the report said, yep, we have, you know, it's, the numbers are down. The numbers are down in 2020 because the reports are two years behind, right? Which is, that's how they do it. The numbers are down in 2020. Um, It's an amazing achievement for us. Like it means that the things that we're doing are working. And um, and, and all the veterans know that that's just not true, right? Like you don't have to read a report to know that when four names come across your desk in one day every day, you know that the number is well over 22. Right. Um, Well, so so they said their report and then Operation Deep Dive America War Partnership representative gets up. And they talk about their report and they talk about the eight states that they studied, Massachusetts being one of them, out of Massachusetts, um, Montana being one of them, found that the number is closer to 44. And there was a discrepancy in the fact that the reports of death from suicide, a lot of these people weren't even being reported as veterans. They were being just reported as, you know, everyday citizens, right? So there wasn't a check. I checked the block when this person went to the corner, this person was a veteran. So they're missing a lot of those numbers. And it was like some gigantic um, margin of error there, like 25% or something of the people that they found were not being logged as veterans, right? And this is in every single one of these states. Um, and then there's like the part of like how they determine the death, right? Like if, if somebody overdoses on heroin, do, do we know that they did it on purpose or do they, or what? Right. 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 Um, and it's like, well, look, if you're a vet and you're like drinking all the time or doing drugs all the time, heroin, right? Like you're essentially killing yourself anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, whether it was a targeted thought, like I, I don't know how to determine that. But um, one more thing to note is that on the um, Veterans Affairs side of things, their report called veterans veterans. Right. So we're veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the operation deep dive they called the f- veteran a former service member so the va was like we don't trust their reports we think that their reports are skewed because there's no determination on what a former service member is compared to a veteran so that was kind of one of the va's arguments and look i'm not knocking the va i think a lot of those people really want to do good stuff right. but i think there's also like um issues with like trying to please certain people and making it look like certain programs right. are working Right. They, right. I think they gave like $2.5 billion to programs. And it was just like, where the fuck is that money going? You know what I mean? And then their, their process for getting grants, like there's a, a huge grant. It's like the Sergeant Fox grant. That yeah. The VA put yes. Out. Yeah. And th- it's like, in order to even apply to that, like there's so many prerequisites to even apply. And it's like the, the little man like us, this, we can't get it. Like we're just not going to get into Why? That. Well, I've heard about, I've heard about that. We actually, we're in touch with somebody that wanted to help us do our therapy. And, but what's the stipulation with the Fox grant? Why is that complicated to get into? I mean, I haven't like really dived into it, but I know that um, with one of the messages from operation deep dive, those guys are, they're a great organization. And they said that it was one of the hardest things that they ever had to put together. It took them months and it was just extremely uh, laborious to get all the information that they needed. And they were actually shocked that they got it because it was just so intense. Wow. Uh, but on a positive, at least the VA gave it to them, knowing that they're almost like a competitor in the, in the reporting space. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, but yeah, it looks, it looks 
stuff. What about Dave's point of view? What do you think is going on? Why do you think, do you, uh, first off, I, I mean, less than not be said, do you think there's a spike or do you think this is just a semantic argument, depending on what nomenclature you want to call people? I definitely do. Yeah. I mean, like when we think about going through COVID, like the general population is yeah. like yeah. mental health out of control. Yeah. You know? Um, so if you think about like guys like us who like we're out of control anyways, <laughs> and then you right. add to it, the, the COVID thing where people are just like locked up in their house. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, it's definitely spiked. It's definitely spiked. Um, I'm going to ask, a, no, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it just sucks to see like, um, friends who I know that didn't know someone in the military that died by suicide that have reached out to me this past year saying that they've had friends die by suicide and that 22 Mohawks was the first person they thought of because they were like, damn, you've been pushing this and now it hits home for me. And it just changes people's point of view. It's like until someone in your life dies by cancer or dies by any type of disease yeah. um, or, yeah. you know, dies by suicide, it doesn't, it, it sucks yeah. when you hear it, but it doesn't really affect you until it hits home. And um, yeah, I, I feel like, yeah. So uh, what were you going to say, Chris? No, uh, no. I mean, uh, mostly I wanted to hear you talk, uh, but I think, do you think that money, what's missing to solve the epidemic, and obviously, if you knew this, you'd be the Pope. But I mean, you know, to the best of your ability, as someone that's in that space seven days a week, is it money? Is it just general grassroots baseline awareness? What is it? What's missing that people can do? Because I think that's one of the problems. And I'll I'll, I'll I'll give you time to think about it by filibustering a little on this. I, I think one of the things that allows, to our earlier point, grift laziness and all that complacency to enter the veteran nonprofit space is some of these are rocks that people just don't want to look under. So if you tell me you're handling veteran homelessness, veteran drug abuse, I'm going to go, awesome. You're doing the Lord's work. I don't, I don't want to know how that sausage is made. I don't want, I don't want to look under that rock with you. Let me give you some money. And now I feel better about myself and I'm going to trust that you did the right thing with it. And that allows people to kind of go, yeah, sure. I'm helping homelessness. Say I'm not. You know, do you know how to put a veteran, get him off the streets and into a house? Like, no, I don't. And nobody wants to know. So I feel like the accountability is 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 not there because no one wants to know how to make that accountable. But yeah, for but I mean, for you, what, what do you think? I mean, yeah, give me your feedback on that. Am I making sense? Is this what what's missing? What what's the missing yeah. ingredient that we need to pick up? Yeah, to your point with being held accountable, I mean, that's that's a huge fear of mine. Um, where one day, you know, someone asked, like, hey, where did that like seven grand go that XYZ gave mm, me? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not going to not have a log of the exact time that check was deposited and where it went um, the following months, right? I'm just so scared that someone's going to come in and be like, 22 Mohawks, you're a joke. You've literally been like, you know, buying your million dollar home and the keys with all, right. But like, I just would not, I'm so scared. I lose sleep over that. Like, Oh my God, I didn't like that 87 cents from that, you know, the receipt, I freak out. Um, but to the, I do, I think that like, what's the saying in the military, you're only as strong as your slowest guy. Right. So in my opinion, like the slowest guys are the guys like, like us, right. We're like, um, and I don't want to put you in the same category as us, but I think of us as like a neighborhood level operating nonprofit that helps like local people, maybe the state of Massachusetts, let's say, right? Well, if you start with them and then everything kind of flows upwards, right? You can, you can tackle the areas that are like 
neighborhood level and then just mm-hmm. kind of bring it all up. So mm-hmm. one of the, the initiatives that we have right now is that um, there's three states that are, are have the highest number of veteran suicides. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like it's like Wisconsin, um, Alaska, and there's one other. Right. So we've been like reaching out to those states to find out what's going on in those states. Right. Like mm-hmm. why? Why is the number so high? Is it because they're like, it's more sparse, right? You're like yeah. in a home and there's not much people around, like, and you're just like depressed. Um, it's cold. They're Northern states. Yeah. Yeah. Really far yeah. North. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like finding out why those states are, why they are, will, will, will teach us a lot about suicide in the veteran community because that's, that's where it's at, right? Like that's the epicenter of veteran suicide. Those states with a large number of, of suicides. Um, but in my mind, in, in my selfish head, I'm like, God, man, if, if, if someone was to write me a check for a million dollars, right. The amount of like lives that I could reach would just be, I, I feel like I could stop veteran suicide in the state of Massachusetts like that. I, I just feel like I could do it. And, um, I, I, but again, like what happens to people is they get so caught up in like like getting money and doing all this stuff. And then they forget what the mission is. So like every day I have to remind myself about my, my John Hatfields, my, my Travis Partee, my Curtis Ballard's, uh, my Alex Killups, like those people, I have to remind myself every day because I'll get caught up in the business side of things. And then here I am like counting dollars, like, Oh, where does yeah. the money go? Yeah. Instead of remembering, yeah. like, it's not about, we need the money to do it, but it's not about the money. It's about helping these people. And I feel like if we do help people, the money will come. And I, and I kind of feel like that's, yeah. that's what, ha- what has happened to us. Like I'll, I'll tell you publicly, like year one, we brought in $24,000, right? We did our jump. Right. Um, we did our, our, our static line jump. Um, and that was it. That was it. Right. And the money went out, came in and it was great. This year we did over a hundred grand. Wow. Um, wow. So we like, we, you know, quadrupled our, our earnings. Now the money comes in, and it goes right up. Right? Right. Like we don't right. have money to substance abuse. Um, we did, God, we did 27 dogs this year. Um, and to that, to that, op- I always quote American Warrior Partnership and Operation Deep Dive, but they found that organizations that give dogs to veterans, that there's a 0% suicide rate. So any veteran that's received a dog from an organization yeah. is still alive or, or didn't die by suicide. Is so that- like we're gonna- yeah. We're standing that. Like, is that why you say like if you had a million dollars you could stop suicide in the state of Massachusetts? Because through do. dogs, through dogs, through and, and what else? What 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 would what would be the tactics you would use? Would it be all dogs or is there other stuff that you found works really well? Well, I find that like so our small events like we do our annual tandem parachute locally event. Right. It's like 10 or 20 um, they bring their families and we tandem parachute, right? So it's exciting. It's like, "Oh my god, I've never jumped before. This is so cool." Um and the vets come, their family comes. The beauty behind that is, is the social connection with the vet. And every single time we have that, a veteran will come up to me and he'll say, or she'll say, I've never told anyone this, but right. Just speaking normal. Like I uh-huh. thought I was, someone was lighting fireworks in my house for the past two years. And it was annoying me because every night my neighbor would light fireworks off. And then one night I went outside and all of a sudden I was getting shot at by my neighbor, but the whole time it was just flashback you know it was just i was i thought something was happening that wasn't yeah i know the guy had massive compound ptsd and like needed to get on meds and he, he didn't know right so like 
people just will open up and tell stories. And when they tell it, you can see the relief come off their face because they're like, oh, I'm speaking to Dave. Um, Dave's doing this for me. I can tell Dave. And then it just gives them relief. And now we're lifelong friends, right? We like, we talk all the time on Facebook. We talk um, about, you know, you know, if they have a problem or if they know someone that has a problem, they'll share their number and then they'll call me. Um, so it creates, it creates an awareness. It creates a prevention. So these small events, so I'm kind of talking fast here, but no, 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 it's good. These small events bring vets together to allow them to open up. And it's not like, Hey, tell me everything about your life. They just know that they can speak about it at these events. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we always, we'll always promote the dog. Like, Do you need a dog? Do you want a dog? We'll get you a dog. If you don't have one. Um, no cost to you. And, and people will, will jump on that. They'll get dogs. Um, so this, these, these smaller events kind of promote the dog program. Yeah. Um, cause the dog program then, is your lifeblood, right? I mean, that's your, that's like your, your main line of effort, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the beauty behind that is, is that it brings in essentially two communities, right? It brings in the local population that loves dogs, that wants to rescue dog and save dogs. And then it brings in our vets, right? So the, the people see that, Hey, you know, where this organization saving dogs and they're saving vets. Right. So when we say we, we gave, you know, 27 dogs in 2022, we actually saved those dogs, most of them, not all of them, but most of them from, from kill shelters. Um, and then we saved a veteran from their basement. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dave, where did that come from? Was that, was that you and Stacy's idea to begin with? Or did that, like, did someone mention that to you? How did you twig to the fact that giving dogs would be such an important platform and, and plank of what you do? Yeah. Yeah. When, um, and um, I think you froze, Chris. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and when when I first started, I did the Mohawk and posted on on social media, and you know, raised a couple grand or something. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll create a parachute event, created the tandem. And then I was like, well, I'm going to do this forever. I'll do this every year to help that spring awareness. But I'm like, if I'm going to spend a couple grand on a website, I might as well add some programs. So when I was like noodling on what I wanted to do for programs, I, I mean, I just knew that it takes at that time, it took like two years for vets to get service animals from the VA. But like I have a dog and I'm not like completely disabled, but my dog like saves my life. My dog's awesome. Like no matter what I come home, he's looking at my face, he's sitting on my lap, like doesn't matter, but my dog still reacts the same to me. And that brought me like the warm and fuzzies. So I'm like, well, why don't I, I know that not all vets need service dogs so why don't i just you know put on there that on the website like if you need a vet a dog i'll I'll get you a dog so i had no plan i just put on the website i was like shit whatever well literally two days after launch of the website i got a call from mike mcgee in cape cod massachusetts and he was like listen he's like i saw your website Um, i'm not going to make it through another winter he's like i really need a dog can you help me and i'm like holy shit i'm like this is real um how do i get a, a fucking dog you know? Was he like waiting for the VA to give him a dog? Was he like on a wait list or something with him? He knew that it took a couple yeah. of years and he just, yeah, it wasn't, he knew it wasn't going to happen. So yeah. um, I, I ended up calling a local shelter, getting him a dog. And then two days later, I just drove it to his house and dropped it off. Right. So like, I, I think it was like 600 bucks for the dog and then an hour drive. Right. Wow. Um, and it's like, shit. All right. And that, it felt amazing to me. I was like, oh my God, this is purpose for me. This is great. That that one action led to Mike connecting with a local group, Professional Canine Services, who called me and said, hey, we'll help you get dogs and we'll give training to these guys, um, these vets, 
um, Solis partner. And then all of a sudden it was like, Mike spread the word. Now we have partners, put the partners on our page. And then all of a sudden all these people started calling us for dogs. Right. And it just, it took off. I think we've given 32 dogs um, so far. And it was just, um, yeah, it was almost like it was like meant to be. And it was literally simple. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I have no fucking clue how I'm going to do it. And then when someone called as a veteran, we fucking figure it out. Like that's what we do. And that's what we need to push in our vets. Like if a vet needs help, take action, figure that shit out, help, help them out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, can we walk through the process of what that looks like? I mean, cause obviously like the, the details I could see could get complicated. If, if you're a vet, do you reach, you reach out to 22 Mohawks and do you have to give information about yourself? What bona fides do they have to give so that they qualify? Yeah. So, yeah, so what I did was, was um, I wanted to make sure it, it like the process was a legit process. So um, I mirrored the local adoption agency's mm. uh, application process just to make sure we would, you know, tap in all, all bases with information and then added on that, I would get their disability status and their DD-214. So I knew that they were a vet, knew that they had a disability. And then we just kind of asked about like their living arrangements. Um, so they'll find us online. They'll call. I'll, I'll vet the vet, right? I'll have a grow conversation with them. Um, and then I'll hang up and then Stacy will essentially correspond with the veteran over email with, she'll send the application over the veteran will send the application back or ask any questions. And then next step is essentially connect them with our, our partners. They try to determine what kind of dog this person needs. And then um, then we set a date. We meet up in Middleborough or recently I've had them actually come to my house, which is pretty cool because we like, we'll do dinner or lunch and the vet will come to my house. Oh, wow. Wow. And it's, it's like way more like intimate and um, so much more stuff is said. Like it's a, I think that that's, that's the way to do it. But, um, but uh, then we'll meet, we'll meet in Middleborough or at my house. And then we'll, I mean, no one typically, I think one person didn't take the dog, but most people will take the dog, right? Cause they see the dog and like, yeah, we'll take it home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so that's like the, that's the initial step. And then we schedule two times per month training for the next six months. Um, that accomplishes a couple of things. We make sure that the dog is fed healthy. We make sure that the vet is fed and healthy. Yeah. And then the whole group, everyone who's got a dog from us, or most of them will come down on those two Sundays that we have it. And now they're all holding each other accountable. They're all friends. Like some of them like hang wow. out now, wow. but now it's created like this community, right? Like a fight club. Yeah. Kind of deal. You know, yeah. Like a dog club yeah. where um, everyone gets together. Um, one of the guys, like his like high school friend passed away. Um, and then like some of these guys like went to the funeral. So it's like creating like this, a community of accountability, um, and respect amongst each other. So, and they know that they can, they can reach out, you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of cool to see that, that happen, you know? Oh, a hundred percent at this point with the community partners that you've kind of developed and nurtured and, and all these relationships that have been burgeoning, what does it cost to hook a vet up with a dog soup to nuts? Like what's the entire all-in cost to get that done yeah we're in the process of kind of um, revamping our cost structure but i'll use last year's numbers um basically it cost flat out 2500 bucks for the dog and then the training for for life right gotcha typically the training is like six months to a year and then they then they're done they don't have to come back anymore but if they do want some more nuanced training they, they can get it as well but um, that was last year's cost per dog was 2,500. And sometimes we actually got lucky where, um, 
Um, have you heard of Clear Path for Veterans? I think they're in New mm-hmm. York. Too. Yeah, sure. Um, they reached out to us. They had a dog that failed after two years of, of um, service dog training. It, it failed the final exam. So they ended up donating this like highly trained dog to oh, us. Oh, wow. wow. Free. And That's then we awesome. able to give that. But um, I mean, shoot, man, if, if the dog has got that much training, it's still going to be a solid, sure. solid animal, you know, yeah, and that's probably yeah. like a twenty, thirty thousand dollars animal, you know? So when they donated the dog to you, was it for a specific veteran or did they have to give it to one of your community partners? And then that dog's kind of in reserve until you find a veteran that might want it. Like, how does that work? Yeah. So we have, we have um, like a list of veterans that are waiting for dogs. And uh, oh, he, wow. this gentleman happened to be the next guy on the list. So that's how we do it. We just, whoever's next on the list, we kind of move them up. Um, and uh wow. handle it that way. Yeah. So it's like a kidney. Okay, so you got a waiting list. That's right. Yeah, Holy yeah, we do. We, Jesus. We wow. People, yeah. Yeah. Like so, some people are waiting to move because they their landlord won't let them have dogs, or mm. some people are in a lot of therapy that they just don't have time to manage. Like just this, you know, there's reasons why they're waiting. But how do you find the dogs generally? Is it all through community partners, or are you kind of do you have to go and canvas and look for people and you know cruise the internet and find where people are like how do you find these dogs? Yeah, so we have a couple partners now. We, we, we partner with Professional Canine Services. They're like our main um, dog source and trainers. But we recently partnered with um, Last Hope Canine. They're in Massachusetts. Um, and then a couple others. But what they'll do is, is like every month or so, they'll get um, a bus full of dogs that will come up from the south or out west. Wow. Uh, one, one particular organization had like 50 dogs come up. And... Um, Essentially, what we do is we provide the list of people in their temperament and what kind of the veteran's looking for. And then they'll kind of, you know, tell us which dog would go to like an older veteran. Like, hey, this dog's really chill, little older, probably good for an older like wheelchair type veteran. Or this one has a ton of energy, good for a younger family. Um, and then we kind of just base the decision on that. But yeah, so local, local community, local partners is who we use. Does the veteran need to be disabled in any way, have any disability rating to qualify for a dog, or is it open to any veteran? It's open to any veteran. It's open oh. to any vet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, no stipulations about family, living. What about living situation? Is there a certain kind of living situation they have to have for you to uh, give them a dog? The key things are that we want to make sure that the dog is, can be walked, um, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you're in a city, you just got to say, hey, yeah, I can walk the dog. Um if like the family has like disabled children, right. We want to make a note of that. Like, okay, well, we don't want this dog, like jumping all over disabled kids, right. like kids with autism and stuff like that. Right. Um, so we just, that's really it. We just need to know that stuff um, and know that the, the landlord is okay with them having a dog. Cause obviously we don't want to give them a dog in the landlord. Right. Like, no. right. Right. What about, so when you have these training sessions and the follow on stuff that you do, obviously the owner's getting trained, the dog's getting trained. Do you guys go back and kind of take the temperature of the veteran and of the dog as well and see how that's looking? And is there any measurables? Do you have any metrics or is it, is it kind of just an eyeball test of like, Hey, they look better. I mean, what's the, what's the follow-on effect for you guys? What kind of, what kind of follow-on stuff do you guys do? And what's the, what's the upshot with it? So Stacy is really, really good at messaging everyone. So she has a, um, mm-hmm. a group text, everyone who's ever got a dog from us. And she'll message them once or twice um, a week to just say, hey, how's everything going? Trainings this, at this time. Let me know if you can make it. Um, one story we have is this, this, this guy, um, Marine vet. He came to us, um, looked extremely healthy. 
he did get divorced. So he was kind of in a bad way, but we got him a dog and uh, good to go, went to training. And then we kind of like lost contact with him for a bit, um, but we weren't concerned because he seemed like super straight away. And then come a couple of weeks later, he had messaged us and said that he had gone to um, the wizard, right? He had gone to, um, um, you know, mental health and had to spend a couple of weeks in mental health because he, you know, was, you know, going off the deep end, right? He was having a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Yeah. Um, and he ended up getting out and we were like, we were shocked. We didn't know that we had no clue. Like we saw him, he seemed completely fine. We asked him if he was okay. Like as yeah. we ever, he seemed completely fine. And then after the fact, he had messaged us and said, Hey, like, um, I just want to let you guys know that I was planning on, on taking my own life. Um, but because of, of my dog that you guys gave me, I, I didn't, I just ended up going to the hospital instead. Um, so thank you. Right. Wow. So, I mean, there's, there's essentially kind of two points to that story is like, it's, it's really hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. If someone's like in a bad, bad way, um, unless they tell you, um, like we have some guys that we kind of know that they're, they're into the drug scene. Like you can just kind of look at someone and have an idea. We don't pass judgment. We just say, if you ever need anything, let us know. Um, but those are like the high risk guys that we want to like, if they ever call, we always answer yeah. kind of deal. Yeah. Yep. Oh, he's strong. We got to, you know, make sure he's good. Um, but uh, yeah, like those are the guys we follow up on, but those guys never actually are any problems, but they'll tell us everything. Like, yeah, you know, right. I did, you know, I did cocaine the other night. Like I, I shouldn't have done it or, or, or something. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but they know that they can talk to us and we're not judging them. So I almost feel like that's a, a value add for them. It almost like, sure kind of gets them off the hook mentally. I, I don't know. It's, it's really bizarre. You know? Yeah. Do you guys have stipulations about the nature of their discharge? Do they have to have all been honorable discharges? No, no. I mean, we haven't really talked about that, but in my mind, um, I feel like, so I, I know that I think it was the eighties, right. In the eighties, those guys served for like 10 years and none of them are veterans, right. Because they didn't deploy to, or a lot of them. Oh, right. Deploy. Right. Um, same with like the national guard, if they haven't like deployed to a combat zone or, or served on active duty for a certain amount of time, they're not veterans. As far as 22 Mohawks concerned, if, if, if you, you know, got an MOSQ, like you're a veteran to us, you know, like if you were kicked out two weeks in a basic, probably not. But like, if you have, if you're MOS qualified and you've done some time, like you're a veteran to us, yeah, you know, and look, yeah. if you need a dog and like, quite frankly, um, we've had two people that we know. Uh, one of them was was hit by a car. He was a civilian, almost died. and was like in a wheelchair for like years. We get, we got him a dog um, just to take care of him. And then we have um, this one woman, she had major mental health issues. And we were just like, yeah, we're going to get you a dog. Like we don't market that, but if somebody's in need and they reach out, we're going to get you a dog. Like it's not just going to be specific to obviously, gotcha. you know, certain circumstances, right? A whole model is not going right. to be based aliens but right um, right that we, we we don't alienate people right if they need us am i right in thinking i kind of said this up front and 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 then i realized i probably should have put that as more of a question am i right in thinking that you guys probably run about a zero dollar balance like you get money in and you're like bitching now what line of effort do we currently have that we can put this towards that's the sense i get when i look at your feed i'm like wait they got this class going that's awesome that clearly needed to be funded 
You've got this other thing, a jump going on or something that needed to be funded. You got a dog that you're giving away that needed to be funded. I feel like when you get money, you're turning right around and going bitching, flash to bang. Let's go help somebody. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. And it's uh stresses me out thinking about it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it, but it's, it's such a, it's such a good integrity play. It's like, wow. Like you like, you know, you already have everything devved out. It's not like you're fishing around going, gee, how should we spend this money? You already have your lines of effort established. It's just going, I need to pour gasoline on it. And so when I get a little bit of gas, bitching, I, I know where I'm going. I know everything's been worked out ahead of time. So I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I, I'm putting words in your mouth. Yes. So that's what it seems like to me. No, you're right. That's how it is. I mean, that money's there and it's spent, right? Um, and just a, a pretty cool bit of information for us is we just signed a lease on a building um, in in Medway, Massachusetts. So we're actually going to have a place where we can do all our classes, um, all our fundraising, all our dog training. Um, it's zoned for a kennel, so we can actually have dogs there. Um, so it's um, it's a it's a risk, um, but I think that it's a good risk, and I think it will be um, it'll be worth it. We'll touch base again in two years, and uh, yeah, right, seriously. <laughs> Well, I mean, well, th- that is, I mean, you're, you're, you're going now into the big leagues. I mean, if you're getting, if you're looking at a physical place, I mean, it looks, I'll, I'll give some of my data points that I've seen. It looks like you guys are, I mean, as much as you said, yeah, you know, we're starting on the neighborhood level and all that. You guys are going way past the neighborhood level. Like you're starting to branch out. Like you're now looking for like Montana and like roots there. Right. And and you're, yeah. you're finding purchase in a lot of other places. Talk about that expansion. How has that happened? How are you guys? What led you to start looking at some other states and, and physical facilities and all that? Yeah. So um, at the, uh, maybe like six months ago, I got a reach out from a guy who was in um, Wisconsin and um, he had fought in like a, um, a UFC fight for us. Um, he was like, Hey, I want to wear your shirt and wear your flag right. and, yeah. and do yeah. fight. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like I knew him from service, didn't know him well. He was the wow. medic. Um, wow. Great guy. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I, I mailed him a flag. I, I mailed him some swag. He fought in the fight, won the fight. It was cool. And um, a couple months went by and come to find out he, he was having some issues. And he was like, hey, can you get me a dog? So I was like, shit, yeah. So I had reached out to a guy I know in Wisconsin. I was like, do you know anyone that can get me a dog for this guy? And he's like, oh, I know that guy. He's like, yeah. So my friend sourced an animal. We paid the bill. They dropped it off. They did the handoff. And, and that was that. And someone I knew from the service saw that and was like, Hey, I have three dogs. We'll donate them to you for bats. We'll drive into your house. I'm like, all right. So at that same time, we had people in Virginia that were like, Hey, I need a dog. And oddly enough, the way that this guy's path was to Massachusetts was through Virginia. So he ended up driving through Virginia, dropping a dog off to some random guy. We don't know, which cool story on that is he had three dogs. And my buddy wanted to get something to eat. So the guy that he gave the dog to took all three dogs while my buddy went and got something to eat. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. So it was kind of cool. It was like that stuff. Wow. Um, came back, got the dogs, drove up here. Those dogs were gone um, immediately um, to other veterans. So, so that happened. Um, two days ago, I got a call from a woman in Georgia. She's like, hey, I want a puppy. Can you get me a puppy? I was like, yes, I can. Um and I was like, how did you hear from us? And she's like, oh, I was at a, um, I'm, I'm involved in the veteran community a lot. She's like, I was at a, a wounded warrior foundation event. And someone mentioned 22 Mohawks gives dogs to vets. And I was like, in Georgia. 
I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> that's wow. great. People, wow. people, other organizations, organizations are mentioning our name. So I'm, I'm going to get you a dog and, you know, so, um, that's going to be, um, pretty fun. I, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do that, but I have some ways. Um, so it's, it's expanding out, um, which again, requires more money. And then with the, uh, I know that you had asked me about dog cost. Yeah. Well, I've done a lot of research, um, and I'm, I'm in the process of kind of figuring out how to bring that bill down so we can get a building, which I'm, I'm there. Um, so now we have a building, the cost of the dogs come down. So it evens off, but now we'll be able to do more dogs, right? Because we'll have a facility. We'll always have dogs on hand. So it's not like we're waiting for another organization to yeah. get us the dog. We'll say, Hey, yeah, give us 10 dogs and then we'll do 10 dogs and then we'll just get more. So it's, it's almost like evening itself off as far as getting a building. Um, yeah. And I, I'm hoping, um, God, your fingers crossed here that having a building, having, having a, a dedicated space where we can teach classes, that's going to come and hang out and read books or, or, you know, do what they want to do. We can do dog training. I'm hoping that that will help us with more donations and it will kind of, you know, flow a little bit better, but I guess we'll have to, you know, sweat I, it up. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. And I think, I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. I think for any nonprofit, the more stuff you do, the more you should be able to bring in donations. It's like when you hold back and you're like, Hey, we don't have a ton of money for that. It's like, it's amazing. You're going to run out of money. Like it's, it's just, you got to be doing stuff and that's how people will know and start to give. What is usually the holdup? Is it that you, it's tough to get dogs or is it that, Hey, we need the money to be able to fund getting the dog and getting that whole process going. Is it the money or is it the logistics that holds you up generally? Yeah. So I know that we talked about, you know, padding our own pockets, right. Um, and how sometimes people get, you know, laser focused on, you know, well, we got to make a profit here. Right. Well, what's kind of ha- in the beginning, when we first started our, our partners got dogs all the time for us. Right. But what happened was sometimes it slows down. Like the month of December is usually slow. So mm. like if, if they would have dogs on hand, they'd have to take the dogs out, right? Because now they have five dogs on hand that they have to work and it, it costs money, which I get. But what happened was, was it, it got to the point where they didn't want to have dogs on hand. They wanted us to call them when we had vets and then they would reach out to get the dogs. But that ended up taking too long. Yeah, and we'd, we'd lose contact with the veteran. The veteran yeah, now it's going to be a, a VA. You know, you got to wait two years to get a dog again. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Um, and I think what happened was was, you know, they start seeing, and like, look, like we've done well. Like money's starting to come in, and I think that people see that and they know, and they're like, well, they're doing great. They're thriving, so we can kind of charge them a little bit more. Uh, so then it goes from yep, all right. Well, yep. I should twenty five hundred for the dog and the lifetime training. But if we have to board them for an extra couple of weeks, then that's going to be another thousand. And it's like, I just can't. I know that I can get a dog for, you know. Then you go into the business side of things, right? right and it's like, right. it sucks. But it's like, if this doesn't make sense for my mission, I, I just can't. As bad as I want to say, I, I can't work with you anymore. Like you have to, like, focus on the mission. And our mission's not profit. Like, I'm not like, oh, I'm making this business decision so I can, I can capitalize and put money in my bank account. It's no, I'm going to tell you to buy, bye because you're telling me I'll only be able to give one dog a month where if I don't work with you, I can give four. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're talking Fucking about people's lives here. You know what I mean? And it's, um, 
it, it actually makes me pretty angry. Like I've written some emails that are like just violent in their tone, you know, and it's yeah. like, I know I'm extending them because, <laughs> right. Well, but, no, but listen, but it is true to, to be a nonprofit of means and to, and to have the, the aura of success. Motherfuckers smell money and they yeah. do, they come after you and they start nickel and diming you and they start. And yeah, there's no two ways about it. It becomes very cutthroat and it's like, you're not a nonprofit. You're a punching bag for them. They're like, great. I can, I can soak you to get the profit for my, whatever it is, construction business, dog business, whatever, like finding the way of nickel and diming. It's, it's a rough game in, in, in the nonprofit space, especially when you're trying to do something where they feel like they could have leverage on you. It's like, where you want to get dogs? I mean, where else you could get dogs from, which makes me ask, is there any value? This is a very layman question. Is there any value in just going to the pound? And getting dogs before they're killed or anything like that? Is that a thing? Wait, say that one more time, Chris. Is, is there any value in just going to the pound and just getting dogs before they're killed and going and, and like literally getting rescues? Like, or is that what the, they're, I, I guess I don't understand where the value is that they bring to it. What, what would stop you guys from just going right to the pound and getting the dogs for whatever it is, 25, 30 bucks a dog? I think the pounds have, um, have to give the dogs to like a certified agency that will take the dog and oh, then um, okay. quarantine them for two days. Cause I think once you receive the dog and it comes into the state, they have to quarantine for two days and then they can give them to the organizations. So I think that's like another level of like, um, like certification or, or business structure that you have to go through. I could be way wrong. Um, Did you guys get that certification? Could we? I don't know. We might be able to. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, probably if we yeah. um, researched it enough. Yeah. Right. Yep. That'd be freaking cool. Um, I, I, just, I was just wondering when you were talking about that because I was like, I don't get it. Like, you know, I mean, I haven't adopted a dog from a shelter before, but I, my impression is that it's very cheap to do. So I was like, yeah. Oh, that seems like a lot, 2,500 to get the dog. I'm like, really? Well, what, 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 that must be one hell of a dog. I mean, you know. Yeah. Seems well, like a lot. Training aspect kind of comes sure. in. So the I, training. I yeah. Inside. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you know, you got a little true to your word too. It's like, well, if we're doing the training, we got to do the training. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, no, that makes total sense. Um, let's talk just about the problem set again. And, and I, only because it, we've talked about this, you and I have talked about this before, but it is maddening. And I think one of the things that's pissed me off about the suicide rate, and again, this is anecdotal because I don't have the numbers, but I, I think you and I are in agreement that it, is there is a spike. I think one of the things that really pisses me off is I feel like veterans are truly some of the best examples of conscientious, whole-souled Americans. They volunteered. They saw a cause greater than themselves. Whether or not they enjoyed their military service, whether or not they, they did amazing things or not, they, they, they gambled on themselves and they gambled on their lives for a greater cause. And I feel like when veterans commit suicide or die or whatever, suicide by drugs, whatever it is, that's a huge loss of knowledge, capital, experience, capital, and and loss of some of the best people that that could really be value added in the country. Um, You know, certainly right now, probably at any point, but, and so, so to see them dying at, at these rates, I'm like, God damn, we're taking a lot of chess pieces off the board that should not be off the board that we could probably use right now that probably have a lot of value and a lot of use in the country. 
So I want to look at, at some of the things, and I, I want to just throw out a couple of ideas that I've had. And I want to bounce them off of you and tell me if this is crazy or if you see any validity to it. How much? I was talking about this with my friend Scott Mann uh, a couple of weeks ago. How much do you think Afghanistan and the withdrawal plays into the spike? A lot. I do. I think that there's a big piece of that. I know when it, when it happened, my phone rang at least five times a day from just people that I had served with. Um, wow. Yeah, it didn't stop ringing. And it was, you know, it was, hey, Dave, how are you? You got a sec? Yep. Hour goes by. Hey, Dave, thanks for the call. I appreciate you listening. Take care. And I barely said any words. Um, wow. I mean, we're talking like senior level people, too, like people who I know who are now Sergeant Majors calling just to kind of bullshit just because of how I position myself. So if like those, those guys are calling, you know, that there's other people who are sitting out there like, wow, was this all for nothing? You know? And then you can kind of like think back to like Vietnam too. It's like all those guys were like, well, shit, this was for nothing. The way that we withdrew, you know? Um, and then like top it off with like everything that they like left behind. And I know there was like missions going back to like save people. Um, I do think that that absolutely increased. And I think it's, I think that still weighs on a lot of people to this day. I don't know. No, that's definitely been my impression. I also feel like there's a, um, and I know for you and I, we've both been out kind of since this happened, but do you get the impression that there's been a cultural shift in the military because the GWAT ended and you're not getting the national defense service medal or whatever anymore, national defense medal anymore. And it's like, it's all of a sudden become like a de facto peacetime military even though it sort of isn't because we're in a rock still, but whatever. Um, but I feel like there's a cultural, like generational shift in the military where it's like now it's not uncommon. And I'm basing this completely off Instagram so people can throw all the hate they want at me. But it seems like I'm seeing a lot of pictures of E7s, E8s, O4s, O5s that are slick sleeved, haven't deployed to a combat. So like it's a generational shift. Like it's like, oh, wow, this that just kind of doesn't happen anymore. Um, it's, and that there's really been a, a break. And I wonder what that does to both sides of the equation, to the, to the GWAT era veteran. It's kind of like, there's a detachment from the military. It's like, wow, this is my time has passed. This is, it's not the military. I know they're not dealing with the same things I was dealing with. And for the guys that are in now, they're going, Hey, I don't feel like I'm part of the military that I thought I was joining, or this is a different military. Like it's just, it's, it's a, it's a generational break. Does any of that make sense? Does any of that resonate? Do you think there's any value in what I'm saying with that as far as affecting people's mental health? Yeah, I do. I think, I think you're right. I think there is a lot of uh, slick sleeves. Like you said, like there's a lot of people that are just going to be make rank and then they're not never going to have seen combat. Right. Um, and I definitely think there is a generational shift. Like you just going through Instagram and like those, those videos and the TikToks from like, all the, you know, men and women that are like, I, I don't know, it's, it's way different. Like that shit would not fly when we were in. Right. Um, right. Like I, I wouldn't speak um, unless I was spoken to. And I still carry that same sentiment at work now. Like my senior people, I'm just like parade rest. Like, yep, I got whatever you want me to do. I'm doing like, you know what I mean? Like that's just, yeah. it just, I feel like that's what was ingrained in me. Um, and I, it works well. I, I do. I think that it works well, but um yeah, I, these these this younger generation is, is a lot different. But then, like, I'm like, at the same sense, I'm thinking, like, I wonder if, like, the um, you know, the Vietnam guys say that shit about us too, like, you know. Well, hundred percent. You know. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Listen, I, I and it, and it's not even a knock on the younger generation. I feel like I was I was just talking to a veteran yesterday, 
that lives in the area and he found out about us and he was like, Hey, I want to volunteer. And he came by and we were talking and he just got out a year ago. Uh, he only served for four years. Um, you know, didn't forward deploy or anything. Um, but he felt like he'd left a lot on the table and it was just like, and I was like, it's not just, you know, old salty people looking back and going, ah, you know, these young bucks, it's like the young guys are like, I don't know, man, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it would be. I thought I was going to see, do accomplish a lot more. And instead I'm suddenly in a peacetime military and, or a military that's kind of determined to call it a peacetime military, no matter what. And, yeah. and, and there, that's a strain as well. And then you see the suicide rates of non-combat vets and people in garrison. And it's like, it, it seems like the mental health issue is going to stick with people no matter what. So it, there, there's just demons on either side of the equation. Oh, big time, big time. And I, I don't remember, um, maybe you saw it when you, I don't remember like all these issues with like the water and like mold in the barracks. Like, right. do you remember any of that? No, it doesn't surprise me because I'm sure nobody looked into it. I think people were sprinting. It's, it's like asking the sprinter to go, Hey, did you see if the trash was taken out? It's like, I don't know. I was sprinting like, you know, and I think, I think during the heat of the GWAT, nobody was looking at that stuff. Now they are. And, and, I get it in groups like Hunter seven that are going in and like finding all these health related issues. I mean, God bless man. Like it's it's scary as shit to think. I'm just glad I never deployed to Iraq. I'm like, Holy fuck. Like the breathing issues, the, you know, all the respiratory stuff. I'm like ice, you know, and that, and all the, all the stuff that's come out about that. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it definitely was something that was like, you know, suck it up buttercup. I mean, that, that wasn't stuff you thought about, you know, back then. Totally. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Cause now they're looking into it because they have, you know, I guess nothing better to do. Right. No, totally. And well, I think, I think there's that, I think the other thing, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, this is, um, I don't know. You've been on the show before and I feel like we know each other well enough that I can just, I'm, I'm talking a lot more than I normally would. I'm pretending like we're at lunch and we're just bullshitting, but uh, I, I read this article last night as I went to bed, which is a really bad idea because then it just bothered me all night long. Um, I, I had to hear about the, the deaths of Bragg, like all those weird fucking things that were going on. And yeah. that, that CAG guy that got murdered, the he murdered his best friend yeah. and then, and then he was murdered. And like, and I read that, I read it in Rolling Stone because I really wanted the adventure. So I figured they would probably gloss it, uh, gloss it up and, and make it a really cinematic read. And I was like, fuck me, man, that thing tripped me out. And I think what at the core of what tripped me out was that it was not just a perfect storm of circumstances. It was unavoidable circumstances. You're going to have TBIs mm-hmm. because percentage wise, doing the number of operations, being within a blast radius, you know, enough that you're just going to have multiple uh, TBIs have multiple bites at the apple to fuck your head up. And then steroid use, methamphetamine use, everything that becomes a coping mechanism that's intrinsically unhealthy and just the rampant drug use and, the, and then trafficking in drugs, because now, now you're like, you're just stepping up the levels of bad shit that you're bringing into your life and into your sphere. And all these guys, I mean, described by their families, like originally as like the most warm, loving, you know, yeah, masculine testosterone filled, but patriotic good people and it's like but yeah of course when you get enough tbis and drugs in your system i mean shit all bets are off right 
to see that happening and and I mean again to take that into into context with all the escalating suicides with the withdrawal from Afghanistan so now you've got guys that are juiced and nowhere to you know not as many places not as target rich an environment to exercise that craft I don't know man like there's there's a sickness there that that's a tough thing to step down from and I um I don't know I, well, give me your thought I, I I'm I just had to voice that because I was just like that story just really depressed the shit out of me yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I tapped on it a little bit, and I and I heard about that that guy who was killed on the range with his buddy, um, and then like the the trafficking and uh, it was with that third group or something. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, there's that too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So just yeah, just like really really bad stuff going on. Um, do you remember when that guy um, that uh, Green Beret got killed by the Steels or or got allegedly whatever? Um, yes. Yeah, I went to the yeah. courts with. So we were like in the same same platoon in the Q course a long time ago. And, uh, no shit. Yeah. Yep. And I remember talking to him like we were, yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Like how all this stuff just kind of like comes back full circle, but, um, just, yeah, I feel like there's just so much madness going on that people just, I don't know. I don't, I can't really even fathom it really. Well, I I guess I, and I guess the only to try to, to try to make this somewhat of a cohesive point, I, I only bring it up because I feel like there's almost no part of the, not almost, there is no part of the military or veteran community that hasn't been deeply traumatically affected by not just the wars, not just the health issues, but also um, the duration and, you know, the increased, you know, I mean, yes, World War II, Vietnam were awful. The duration of this war and the op tempo of the consistent deployments we've never had people that have deployed this much before to combat zones that's just never happened i mean right. now, don't get me wrong i you might I, I think there's an argument to make that you might want to you might rather do eight low intensity conflict deployments rather than one d-day um i think there that, that's an argument you could make so not yep. to take away anything or say war wasn't as bad for previous generations but just the repetitive nature of these deployments and the health risks associated with that um it definitely there there's no part of the military uh, and i say even the peacetime guys are having problems because now there's other issues of guilt and hey i didn't do this or i wasn't this guy or whatever uh you know going along with it it's just there's there's demons everywhere and i feel like a lot of it is like the military is just subjected to it. it's like a fucking voodoo pincushion where it's like oh no matter what it is your strengths are going to be your weaknesses and your weaknesses are going to be your weaknesses. So you're damned if you do damned, if you didn't, you know, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to, um, I have a couple of police officer friends too. And I was asking them when, you know, if you discharge your firearm on duty, what do you get off for dates? And they said that I think they get like a week off yeah. after yeah. the trip. And it's like, for us, it's like, you're expected to just, you know, continue to pull the trigger. So I should essentially have my entire life off at this point. Right. Um, but, uh, so like, you know, you, you couple that with, you know, everything that goes on, like after the fact, well, when you get home and stuff, and then it's just, just, it's just disastrous. We've, we've had an opportunity to speak with um, Tom and Jen Satterley. Yeah, sure. I think you had um, them on your show. Mm-hmm. Like one, yeah. And they, they dive into the whole, I've read Jen's book, Arsenal of Hope, and that she dives into the whole after fact, when guys come home, operators come home. And they're just super angry because they're constantly in fight or flight mode. Yeah. Um, you know, addition to sink may mean violence, right? It's like, why is this in the sink, right? right. So anything can trigger, um, you know, PTSD or anger. 
Um, but like, you know, you come home, you have your family and then you just isolate yourself right from, from your family because you, you act a certain way and you're just completely disconnected. And then that just, you know, you feel ashamed, you feel guilty because you're hurting everyone, but you really don't know how to snap out of it. Um, but, but yeah, like that's what they talked about really about, you know, just coming home and, and making peace with your demons. And I think it's just kind of a hard, it's a hard thing to do for a lot of guys. What do you think? I mean, you're doing a huge heavy lift right now to try to address this throughout the community. If you were the Pope tomorrow, if you had complete unilateral control of the United States and its resources, what do you do? What do you do to fix that? Is there, is there a one size fits all solution? Is it, what initiatives need to be looked at? Yeah. I mean, I've kind of thought about this. If I just kind of have like an unlimited budget, like how would I like tackle tackle everything um but and you know from where i sit right now and as i evaluate it it's um i think my answer would be the same that in prevention and awareness happens at the neighborhood level right so like organizations like mission 22 um you know um warrior um, um the wounded warrior foundation like they do great stuff but how deep can they get into the neighborhood level Right. Because only yeah. so many people can find them and see them. Um, but like, you know, organizations like us, you know, we knock on people's doors. Right. We're like front and center in the community. People know who we are. Uh, people call us all the time just to kind of talk. Like, I had a call today from a woman um, in a local town asking me to come and have a conversation about mental health. Mental health may. apparently. Mm. OK, I'm going to go in yeah. there and talk to veterans and their mental health. Um, wow. So that's so like now we're the veteran side of the community and people are going to see us. They're going to want to talk to us. Um, I don't know if there's a one size shoe fits all, obviously like Wisconsin, like, or, um, you know, those, those States with the, with the higher suicide rates, everything's so sparse, right. People are yeah. so far away from each other. So it'd be a different, um, um, optic going in there. But I think that if it, I feel like there should be, maybe there is, maybe I'm wrong, but there should be like a, um, like one cohesive unit of all the veteran nonprofit smaller organizations like a board right and we have like this annual like i don't know zoom call or meeting somewhere and we all talk about everything that works and things that don't work and um i think if we could facilitate something like that it, it, it would just it would i think it would do really really good stuff now again you, you need money to do it sure right sure so when i first started um all these organizations that are on my um instagram feed that are veteran nonprofits. I, I messaged on, on Instagram and I was like, Hey, do you want to do a t-shirt with me? Um, I'll put your logo on the t-shirt on the United States, wherever you are, we'll tab it on the t-shirt. And then on the back, we'll put your name and location. So anytime someone reaches out, we're like, Oh yeah, I'll send you to David 22 in Massachusetts. Right. Or I'll mm. send you to Cliss in New York, that rep theater. Right. If somebody's called, right. So we all have each other's contacts and know. And the t-shirt ended up being pretty cool. It was like a shotgun blast, Texas area. It was just uh. full. It was completely, you couldn't fit anymore else, but like the Midwest was fucking empty. Wow. Like there was no one there. And like Aria was, a, was, it was you. And it was like some other small ones in like Florida. There was some, um, th- we never ended up doing a t-shirt cause we all got busy, but I, I was looking at it the other day and I'm like, if we could promote that t-shirt, right. Um, and just say, Hey, look, this is where all these organizations are. Yeah. Let's. Let's get funded and let's bring everybody together and have a conversation. I don't know. I, I could talk about that all day, but I think 
like all these minds need to just collaborate. Like we got people who give wheelchairs to vet. We got people who jump out of planes. We got dogs for vets. You know, we all right. just collaborated and, and talked about it. I feel like that would be a win for us all, you know? Well, I think you, you, you definitely, I mean, obviously have your finger on the pulse of what you guys do so well and that neighborhood level grassroots knocking on doors um, approach is unquestionably the best way to go. It's more personal than just going to the VA. Um, you're not, you're, you're not getting the bland impersonality, uh, you know, uh, institutional response of a larger organization is what you do scalable though. Do you, is it, it, does it need to stay at a local level to be effective or can it still be effective at a larger level? I think if we recreate what we do in other towns, like, um, you know, 22 Mohawks, Destin, Florida, right? And then every year we do our jump, we do our dogs, and we do our finance classes and our suicide awareness courses, right? And just that's our focus in every area. And then just bleed it out across the, maybe that's a bad word, but, um, you know, spread it out across the uh, <laughs> the, the local area all right. over the place. I think, I do. I think it's scalable. And I think it's, I think it's easily scalable, right? Um, like, a tandem jump to bring 20 guys together is probably like three or four grand. So you bring in these guys together, community, whether they've tandemed or not, whatever you have dinner, like now you're creating a network. Um, and then it's like, Hey, wear my t-shirt and spread the word. Do you need suicide awareness classes? Do you need a dog? And then just kind of bleed it out. So yeah, I do think it's, I do think it's scalable at a fairly low cost, to be honest with you. And you need the local buy-in though, right? It's not something that you guys can sit, say in Massachusetts, go, okay, we're going to send a team out to Tampa it's like you probably want people in Tampa to do it, right? That have that local knowledge. Yeah. 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 You have to. Like, I got fortunate where my old uh, university like called me in and they're like doing all this stuff for me as like an entrepreneur and like pushing me out into the community, which is like, because obviously it makes them look good. Sure. You know, like, sure. oh, this our graduate from this university is like doing great stuff. Um, so it makes them look really good. And then it like right. promotes us. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think going to having like a local, a local person you can go to that knows the community is definitely a value add. What do you think is the, um, what do you think needs to happen for you guys to get to that level, to get to a level where, where, like, when do you feel comfortable? What is your metric of personal success? When do you guys, when do you guys start to go, Hey, we're, um, we're kind of out of, for lack of a better phrase, fight or flight. Like we're feeling like we're, really solid like like we've got we've we've hit, we've hit our um our saturation point of what we do and we're feeling really good with where we're at and we've got a nice spread we've got a lot of things in our span of control and we're perfectly matched to the task at hand what does that look like for you guys yeah yeah that's a really really good question actually um so we just started doing suicide awareness classes and we've invited in we've tapped into the active duty side of things here in massachusetts so we're going into these these you know um local active duty um posts and teaching these classes to active duty people and the last two ones we've done they were like this was great this was the best we've ever had everybody engaged no one was afraid to say oh yeah i was fucked up at this point because they know that no one's going to take their weapon away because we're not military yeah right um so it's it's moving the needle in that sense um, and that's actually going to be, we're trying to figure out how to structure that, but we're actually getting paid to do that. So wow. it's not a donation. We're actually writing us checks to do it. Um, so we're, we're about to kind of tap into the high schools. Cause I think if we get people at an early age, we can kind of like teach the symptoms of what suicide looks like and, and get in front of it. 
Um, so we're trying to do that. If we can get like four or five of those classes a month, right, continuously, um, then we can really measure like from those schools, like has there been suicides, um, really count it, right? I think, I think understanding, as, as shitty as it sounds, like we want to know the numbers. Like the numbers are important because yeah. we don't know the numbers, then we can't create um, activities um, good because we're not going to know what works, right? We need to know what works, what's slowing it, slowing it down. So we need to know the numbers. Um, so I think if we can get that going, cause now we're in the education um, um, space. Um, we also teach financial classes that are free to veterans. Um, so that brings, brings education. We need to do that. We need to educate our guys because when they come home, no one has a clue about finances. I didn't. Um, yeah, sure. We'll teach that. And then if we can do like, I don't know, like 60 dogs a year, we'll do like five dogs a month um, and then have our retreat. I think the retreat is a really, really big deal, right? Because we're, we're coming out of our comfort zone in Massachusetts. We're flying down to Florida. We're bringing veterans in from all over the country to meet. Um, this year is going to be different because we have American Warrior Partnership coming in. They're going to do surveys and classes. Um, we have the local um, vet center coming in to do to have mental health professionals on site so we can do one-on-one groups. Then we're going to teach suicide awareness. Um, so we have a lot of good stuff going on with this jump. It's not just a jump. Interesting. It, so so the money, like when you when you hear like, oh, they just find these people to jump. It's not that. Like the jumping gets I, to me. I can, I work the best under a lot of duress. So if my heart rate's up and the stress is on, I work really, really good because I'm laser focused. So when we get these guys jumping out of planes and then after we're talking about mental health and stuff like that, their adrenaline's going. So they, they talk about it more um, and it can relieve a lot of stress, right? Yeah. Um, at least in my opinion. So if we can, if we can really hit on those four things um, and have it operate smoothly, um, and we have, you know, a good source of gifts and donations coming in that can operate. I think that that will be um, um, good flow, right? And yeah. then we can probably take the next step, maybe moving to another state, you know? Interesting. Was that long? I, I don't know. Was that clear? No, no, no. That's totally clear. That's totally clear. What What differentiates your suicide prevention awareness class from others? Um, so... So, right. So I'm a, I'm a combat vet. Um, I've, I've played the game. I know it. Um, I've lost many, many friends to suicide. Stacy civilian female, um, lost her dad to suicide. Right. So you have people that are re- really have stake in the game and know the game. Right. And I, I hate to use the word game, but you, you get yeah. what I'm saying. Um, that can go in and teach the class, but tell stories on top of the class. It's not just like click, click through a PowerPoint. It's like, Hey, the reason we do this is because of Here's my story, right? Um, with the last batch we taught, there were four females in the class. And um, that helps because it, it helps Stacy to kind of resonate with the females, right? So the female mm-hmm. veteran side of things is grossly underrepresented because a lot of them were sexually assaulted in service by males. So they don't want to be around males. So having a female side of the course really helps. So let's say one of those girls was like, I was thinking about suicide or I just lost my friend to suicide. Stacy can pull that person aside and, and have a conversation with her. Um, and we also have, we also have another female that's certified. I'm um, a couple other people that have different experiences. Um, so I, I want to say that that kind of sets us apart and we're not like your standard ACE card. Remember we would like hand out the ACE cards 
in service and it was like an inspectable item. Um, we're not that. We're just trying to you know, get things across and make it really simple, right? Because signs of suicide are they're they're there all the time. Anyone who's thinking about suicide will tell you in some way, shape, or form, either directly or indirectly, that they're thinking about taking their lives. And if if we take anything away from this call with regard to that, ask a, just ask the question: Are you thinking about killing yourself? You know, it's because a lot of people get so worried about acting. It's like, you're not thinking about killing yourself, are you? And it's like, that's not how you want to ask me. You want to be extremely direct, knife hand. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Can I help you? You know, um, and it's, it's, it's actually really hard to do. It's easier said than done. But, um, what's, what's the, um, have you run to, just talk through the, um, the certification process for that. What do you guys do to make sure that that's why I always am quick to tell people, I was just doing an interview with a magazine yesterday. I was like, we're not a therapeutic organization. We're an arts organization. And, and like, that's not our target set. And I was like, I don't have enough letters after my name to feel like I'm comfortable saying that. Right. What do you guys do around that? Are you guys all certified? Do you bring certified people with you? Like what, what does that look like? Yeah. So we're all certified. So it's essentially, we go through QPR training. Um, it's an Institute, um, nationwide mm -hmm. and, uh, you, you got to pay a pay a fee. It's like 500 bucks or something like that. You pay the fee, you take an instructor's course, you go through all the modules, you take an exam and then you're certified. And then once you're certified, you have access to all like these PowerPoints, mm. um, videos, books that you can use to strengthen your course um, or your instruction. And um, there are some restrictions, like you have to use their material. It's like required that you give out their material, which is fine. Um, but it gives us the ability to go in to places and, and teach the course. Now, look, honestly, I don't think anyone needs to be certified to go in anywhere and charge anything, right? It's like, if you have experience, you can go in and teach. But I think that there's strength in showing like, hey, we've taken the time to get certified. We have these, these certificates and um, structured, and we're going to give you structured training. So it, 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 you know, it shows strength. It's like going and get your tab, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, it also makes me think that it's probably not the materials that are the defining element of that course. It's not the stuff that can be scaled and that's replicatable. It's a personality-based business, and it's about you and Stacy. That that's the strength of it, right? That it's 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 hey, who are the individuals up there, and how much can the people in the audience connect with those individuals? Exactly, exactly. And I feel like that's locally that's the thing. Everyone's like, oh, it's Dave and Stacy. Call Dave and Stacy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's you're yeah. absolutely right in that. Yeah. What do you think, dude? How, let's let's look for, to the future as we wrap this up. What what do you looking into twenty three, um, and thinking about suicide prevention awareness, the numbers. How do you feel right now? Are you bullish? Are you bearish? What 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 is twenty two Mohawks' strategic plan for twenty three? And and how are you? How yeah? What do you plan on doing to address the issue? I'm bullish on the activities that we are about to take on right uh the jump um the building um the dogs like i'm bullish on that i'm I, i'm i'm concerned with you know some things about suicide how it's just, it's just so hard to tell when someone's gonna you know go to go down that route and I, I always when people ask like what are we gonna do like how are we gonna stop this we're just such a small piece of the puzzle and it's like well i'd rather be a small piece of the puzzle than not one and then Two, like Motor Pool Monday at the at 
at Fort Drum, you, every Monday, you PMCS your vehicle. We need to PMCS our people, right? Get in front of them before they even get to the point where they're even thinking about that, right? Like, I think people think about it all the time. It's like, man, I could just, you know, this is, this is too much for me. But I know 22 Mohawks is there, right? Like, that's the goal is to be like, well, Dave and Stacy or 22 Mohawks or someone on the team, um, I need to, I can reach out to. So I think getting in front of that before it becomes an issue is the biggest deal. And, and, and a lot of people aren't thinking that way because everyone's mm. so, you know, targeted or tunnel visioned on, on what they're trying to do with their own lives that when someone else has an issue, we just kind of like push them aside. Right. And it's, it's no one's fault. It's just, right. that's just normal behavior, you know? Right. So right. get, get our vets thinking about it regularly. Um, we're always, you know, doing a temperature check on our boys or our girls, you know, we're making sure that they're, they're good to go. Right. Like you wouldn't like, you know, take a knee, pull security for a map check and then not ask each one of your guys, like you good to go. Right. You literally ask them that um, before, before we're up and up and jamming, you know, and um, I feel like we need to do that now, you know? So that's kind of the goal is to just do the temperature check, keep it local as best we can push out as many dogs as we can, just based off of operation deep dives, um, 0% suicide rate for dogs. Um, and uh, hopefully just have the community be engaged with us, you know, yeah. which we've yeah. done a pretty good job so far. What's the biggest need? If people want to help 22 Mohawks, I mean, obviously they can cut a check. Um, anything else that they should, that, that you want to give a shout out to if people want to help you guys get after it and get and accomplish your mission? Yeah. Like if you know a veteran that, that may be hurting or, or needs something, um, you know, send them to us because we'll have a conversation with them. We'll find out if they need to just come to an event to hang out, have dinner with us, maybe attend a course, or if they even need a dog. Um, if we touch base with them and they know that we're there, then, then, you know, maybe we can essentially get in front of it. Like I said, right. Um, I think that's the number one, send, send veterans to us in any state, anywhere, just have them give us a call. Like my direct number is on the website. So when my phone rings, wow. um, you know, Wow. Uh, Dave, let everybody know how they need to get in touch besides the uh, phone number on the website. What is the website? What's your social, all that stuff. Yep. So my social, I have American express cards. Oh, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, my, my, pin number. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the website's 22 mohawks.com. You can go in there. You can register for all our events. So all our events are on there up to our finance classes. If you wanted to hire us to come in and do um, a suicide class, you can, you can just reach out to us. There's a link on there too. There's a donate button on there as well. You can donate right on the website. Um, and all our contacts are on there. Mine and Stacy's phone numbers and emails are on there. We're also on um, Instagram. It's 22 Mohawks. We're also on Facebook. It's 22 Mohawks as well. Easy enough to find. It's great to see you, brother. Yeah. Great to see you. I appreciate you having me on, Chris. This is a, this is always great. Yeah. Well, I feel like we, we were due for a check-in and um, maybe for good reasons and bad reasons. So uh, I'm glad you could come on and, and we could hash through this. Um, we'll do it again soon, brother. Yeah, please, please. And if, hey, Chris, if you need anything from me, um, please let me know. I'll be more than happy to you know help you out in any way I can. That means a lot, bro. Thanks. That was Dave Camposano's profile in Havoc. Part two, or not part two, I guess, uh, is... Um, whatever, his second profile in Havoc. But it was good. I mean, with an organization like 22 Mohawks, I'm glad we have a chance to catch up with them and update since we first introduced them to you guys, if you hadn't heard about them already, uh, about this time last year. So I was glad that we could sit down and, and talk about everything we just talked about. 
Okay, I started off this episode by talking about our episode's first sponsor, Second Mission Foundation. I'd now like to talk about our other sponsor, Veterans Repertory Theater. Veterans Repertory Theater is a tax-exempt nonprofit 501c3 organization which provides a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events in order to enhance, enliven, and invigorate American theater and the live performance arts. Obviously, full disclosure, this is my nonprofit. Um, and I probably should say something about that since I really took veteran nonprofits to task. Um, and I think, as I said in the episode, um, the nice thing about doing an organiz- about having an organization, a nonprofit that's in the arts space, is it's pretty clear when we're if we were misusing money, it would be very clear. You know, uh, you can't hide that. You can't hide the high overhead. You can't hide misuse of resources when it's the arts because you need audiences. So there's inherent accountability with your lines of effort in ways that um, nonprofits that are there to help veterans, which is a different thing than what we're doing, um, you know, can sometimes hide and obfuscate that a bit more because people, there isn't necessarily an audience. Your audience are the people that you're helping. And so they're not always demanding accountability. They're just looking for help. Um, anyway, just figured I'd, I'd throw that in since this whole episode was on nonprofits. Um, with VetRep, I'd like to give a bunch of plugs about what we're up to and how things are going. But there's not a whole lot I can talk about right now. So I'm just going to say for everything going on in VetRep, when we can announce stuff that is public-facing, the place to check it out is VetRep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P. Dot org vetrep.org. Uh, the best thing to do if you're on the website is to go to our Now Playing tab, scroll down to where you can subscribe to our literary blog, which uh, also doubles as our mailing list. It's a free subscription, but when you subscribe, you will get in your inbox every day uh, veteran writing, um, now veteran artwork. So we will put one or the other in uh, the email that ends up in your inbox every single day. And at the bottom will have a bunch of shameless plugs telling you what we're doing, what we're up to, what stuff we have coming up, etc. So check it out at vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. Okay, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal, for putting this episode together. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of Dave Camposano and 22 Mohawks. We'll see you next time for another Profile in Havoc. Thank you.